Good morning, church. Man, before we get started, man, I just, um, I love these, these uh, Christmas songs that we, that we sing as worship songs because they are worship, and I'm just so blessed. And then I'm so blessed, right before I come up here, man, one of my dear sisters right here, man, she's fixing my collar, <laughs> making sure, and it's like, man, you guys got my back and my collar. I love you guys, man. This is just so awesome, man. I just like, Lord, that is so cool. She didn't want me to look like a dork up here. Because <laughs> everybody, all you guys would have been going, gosh, that collar is just bugging me right now. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> but um, also, you know, next Sunday, I'm just so excited about next Sunday. Again, we, we decided not to do a Christmas Eve evening service, but we're just doing the regular services here so all you guys can spend time, all the worship team and everybody can spend time with their, their families in that evening if you so desire or just chill at home. Um, but man, use it as an opportunity next week. If you have family coming up or if you have neighbors, friends, say, hey man, we're having our Christmas Eve service in the mornings um, this year and just invite people to come and, uh, you know, we're going to have special, again, a lot of the music here, uh, just special, special message for that day. So again, invite people to come out and join us. Um, again, I'm just so excited about next Sunday. Looking forward to it. So we are finally going to finish Matthew chapter 15. So if you will, make your way over to Matthew chapter 15. This is our fourth study in this chapter. I did truly have high hopes of just doing two, uh, two studies in this chapter, but obviously that never happened. Right from the get-go, um, Again, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'll just cut it in half and, and move on. Again, that's, you know, when I'm looking forward and, and studying, I'm thinking this is the way it's going to flow. And then I got into it, and I'm thinking, I even had notes, the first study to do half the chapter, and it's like, that's gone. So be that as it may, we are in our fourth study of this chapter, but I could guarantee you we will be finished today. Okay, I can't guarantee you that, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to try. <laughs> Chapter, 20, uh, chapter 15, verse 29 to the end of the chapter. We will read it at least. Um, it says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up to the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others... And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, and the maim made whole, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then the disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few fish. 
So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and the multitude or, and, the, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And he got, uh, and he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Father, please bless your word. Lord, we, we humble ourselves before you, Lord God, knowing that this is such a privilege to be able to read God's word, that I get to share it, Lord, from from the pulpit, Lord. And so, Father, please go before us even as we continue on in this service. Have your way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as we go back to verses 29 to 31 here, when Jesus departed from there, from what we learned last week, we know that Jesus and His disciples um, we're, we're, we're up in the northwest um, area towards the Mediterranean Sea, right on the coast. They were right there, which is today called, uh, today called uh, Lebanon, in that region, in that area. Tyre was about 35 miles from the Galilee area when you headed north, northwest like that. And, and uh, Sidon would be another 20, 25 miles north of that, and so again, they'd go this way and then up, and then they're they're leaving from there and headed back this this way. And that whole area is known as Phoenicia, um, and it is a Gentile area, as we covered last week. And that's really important for us to 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 continue to understand what happened last week. If you weren't here, you can listen to it or read through it. And, but understanding that this is a Gentile area, it is a very unclean area to say the least that whole area again it, it had been known as the standard for for godlessness for perversion and for wickedness that whole area and it, and again it, it fascinates me it I'm, it'll come out i'm gonna get warmed up um it just fascinates me. It's like, dude, that was weird. Because <laughs> I, I tripped out on that too. I'm fascinated and interested in that, at, at that whole thing. The fact is that it was so godless, perverted, and wicked, and yet Jesus goes to that place, and he takes his disciples with him. He thought maybe he worried. It's like, man, I just hope they don't go back doing what they used to do. I don't think he thought that. That I thought he, you know, he, he brought them into this place where, again, it's, it's like, no, he knew exactly where he was taking them to. And he was taking them to this place that other Jews would like, no way, you don't go there. But yet Jesus goes there. And so Jesus and his disciples are, not, are now departing the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And they will make their... There's 50 to 60 mile trek back, back to, to, to the Galilee area. But it tells us here that they skirted the Sea of Galilee. 
which doesn't necessarily mean that they were on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It, it means, when it means that they skirted the Sea of Galilee, it means that they were besides, alongside of, in the vicinity of, nigh to, or unto, which also carries words like close or near. They were close by there. And I emphasize that because Mark's gospel tells us that as they make their trek back, it says, and he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. In other words, more than likely, from, from them going to Tyre and then going up to Sidon, they probably came across east on the other side of the Jordan River and then headed south. So, so again, it's, it's a longer way. They're not coming back the way they came back. They're not backtracking. They're making a trek this way and then this way. And they're in the Decapolis area. The Decapolis was on the east side of the Jordan River. And from there they headed down. And, and the Decapolis, it, it, the, the word Decapolis means ten cities. And, and, and it includes these ten cities, and, and way up from Damascus, all the way south, even south of the Sea of Galilee, there was ten cities, other cities, but ten cities in particular that were called the Decapolis. And so when you look in your map, you can look in that area, and you see where that region is. And so that is where they make their way, and they're headed south. And it's interesting because the Decapolis region there, they were in this league, if you will, and they were authorized by the, Mor by the Mormons, by the Romans. <laughs> My gosh, it is difficult up here to, today. See, you guys are going to stay awake because you're going to go, what else is he going to say or not say or muddle through? But they were authorized by the Romans <laughs> to mint their own coins, to run their own courts. And even to have their own army. Which is interesting. Because again, they were still under Roman rule. But they had such a big influence on that side of the, of the Jordan. From that place to this place down here. That, that they, the Romans let them have a lot of those freedoms. Now it's interesting because the Decapolis happened to be primarily a Gentile territory. And so Jesus continues to push this envelope. In this chapter in particular, in, in dealing with the notion, the, the, the view, the, the, the perception of that which is still unclean. Again, if you remember, it, this chapter started off with the, with the, the, the Pharisees saying, why do your, your, your guys eat with unclean hands. So this whole chapter has had to deal with uncleanness. Starting with the disciples, going into this area, this vicinity, and, and continuing, instead of backtracking and getting right back to their little hometown with the, with the Jews and all, they go this way and then down that way. They go east and then south on the Gentile side. And so they continue to be in this unclean place. And Jesus is leading them in that direction. That's what trips me out. Because I think oftentimes, we as Christians going, man, I just want to work around all Christians. It's like, why? 
They're already saved. Maybe Jesus is leading you into these unclean places so you can be a light. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. You know, that, that he puts you in situations that are unclean. Not that you should become unclean, but you go into those arenas because God has cleansed you. And Jesus is leading these guys into that place. And he continues to be in that place. And we're going to see him do all this crazy stuff in that place. Because he is able to make clean that which is unclean. And so he continues to push this envelope. And when it tells us here in verse 20, uh, 29 that he went up into the mountain, this mountain is not the same mountain that we've been seeing throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Again, he's gotten away in this little getaway. It's not that same getaway that we saw you know, last chapter, a couple chapters ago, where he goes up to get away from everybody and everybody follows him. No, this is different. It, it, it almost seems that he is trying to avoid going back to headquarters for a little bit. I don't know what the situation is. Except that he doesn't backtrack. He goes another way. And he goes up to a mountain, not the same mountain that was close to his headquarters. And it says that when he gets to that mountain in the Decapolis area, it says the multitudes came to him. They must have heard something about him. It's interesting because a while back we, 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 we covered a study when he goes into the Decapolis area where, where the guy lives, where you know he's living in the tombs, he's demon-possessed. That was the Decapolis area. That was south, but he, he's probably more north of this in that, in that vicinity. Is it possible? Because that guy wanted to go with Jesus. Just, Jesus says, no, you stay here. Tell the people about the great things of God. Could it be? Is it a possibility? Is there any probability that his fame has gone on in that place, although they've never really seen him, but his fame has is, is, is preceded him? And so when they hear that this man from Galilee is in the Decapolis area, that now the multitudes are starting to gather and they know that he's up in this mountain. And so they go and they follow. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that when he got to this place, Matthew or, or Mark, he, he focuses on one who is deaf and has an impediment of speech. And they wanted Jesus to heal him, and he does. And so it could be also that because he did that with somebody that came to him that may have recognized him, that is when the news went out. So again, there's a possibility that it was a guy from previous times that was there or just because he healed this guy that they went out and after that healing, the great multitudes began to come. Understand, again, this is not his region. This is not his regular region. These are not the same multitudes that we have seen in the past that always know where he's going to be at and they go before him to be there. This is a whole different group of people. These are predominantly Gentile people, unclean people that are gathered together to Jesus and they're there and they're going to be there for quite a while with him. And Jesus is now kind of, he, he's kind of shift gears here 
on us in this chapter in particular in that he is not ministering to the lost sheep of the house of Israel like he told us last week. I only came for them. But man, oh man, has he been kind of ministering to some unclean people lately. He has been reaching out to these people. And it's interesting that he's reaching out to a people that one day would make up the majority of the church, i.e. the Gentiles. The church starts off with the Jews. But pretty soon, as we see, you know, the Gentiles start coming in. And could it be that in essence what we are seeing here is what we read last week in Luke chapter 2 about this light that would be revealed to the Gentiles. And that the, 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 uh, the disciples are learning a great lesson of what was to come later on. Peter being there. Because in Acts chapter 10, when God appears to Peter in a trance, if you remember, and, and, and he lets down the, this, these, this sheet of animals that were unclean. And, and, and God says, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has, has ever touched my mouth, nor will it. And God says something amazing to Peter. He says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. Again, giving them a picture of what was to come. Here in this chapter, we see plenty of that. And so it tells us, in verse 30, having with them the, ma- the lame, blind, mute, and maimed, and many others, they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So again, perhaps what they had, they had seen already, how he had healed the, 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 the deaf and mute guy. And again, go read that story in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7. It's crazy how Jesus heals that guy. But now you got to go and read it. But here, maybe because of that healing, they begin to bring everybody that, that they could possibly think of. The guy who, who's, who's lame and maimed and blind and mute. He's, they start bringing all these people. And for the most part, these people have not seen Jesus do miracles like this. They're not familiar probably with what Jesus has already done. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm never wrong. Um, okay, I'm kidding. But, but the lame, the lame pertains more to a disability that involves the imperfect function of lower limbs because we see here that they start walking. More than likely, but not always, from birth. One who is lame is considered a cripple. Also one who limps. Now we look at, and we understand the blind and the mute, but then we have here the maimed. This is also considered one who is crippled by his hands or his feet. But it also carries a word with it, or a couple words with it, mutilated marred. In other words, something that they were probably not born with, but an injury or an accident that has caused them to be maimed. 
And that word maimed here, it's talking more of some creative powers that are at work here restoring a hand and or a foot. So when he's saying that these maimed people were made whole, what is happening quite possibly if their hands were crushed or their fingers cut off or something not there, that it is quite possible that he is causing them to grow back. And you're going, you're kidding me. It's like, I'm not. That's what I'm studying and looking at. And I'm like tripping going, well, that's kind of crazy. That somebody has lost their finger, their hand, or their a limb, and Jesus restores it. Because it's talking about this, this power that creates. Well, Jesus can do anything. He can do any of those things. Not to diminish the other guys that were blind. It's like, well, his, eyes are, his eyes are there. I'll just make them see. Or he has ears. They just can't hear. I'll just make... No, we're talking about Maybe perhaps something missing and growing it back. It's like, can you imagine that happening? Again, these are the types of words that are being used of something that may have been mangled, mutilated, or marred that are getting healed or restored. It says that they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And I have to underline, I underline a lot. I underlined that part because I thought, man, what a beautiful picture that is. What a beautiful picture that is. And, and, and also, what a, what a humbling thing it is. Knowing that there is nothing that you could do for your loved one. And this man has touched somebody that you've heard about and all of a sudden you're going, well, I'm going to bring them to him. And the only thing I could do, and the picture that I have in my mind as they are laying these guys at, at Jesus' feet, is them helping somebody along, looking at them, and just bringing them down at Jesus' feet, and then just kind of raising up slowly and looking at Jesus' eyes going, what are you going to do? How are you going to do that? And I just, in my mind, I'm just picturing this this kind of like helplessness when you're going through something and there's nothing you can do and you just bow down at Jesus' feet and, and, and finally you just raise up and you just kind of picture going, here you go, Jesus, that's all I got. I can't do nothing for them. And so I picture that in my mind as these people are laying their loved ones, their friends Someone who is disabled at the feet of Jesus. And it says, and he healed them at the end of verse 30. And he healed them. And the word healed in the Greek is therapeuto. Where we get our word therapeutic from. It, it denotes to serve, to heal, cure. Restore to health. That's what he did. That's what he did to, to these unclean people. These Gentile people. That's what he did for them. Again, going back to our last study, it's like, you didn't even come for them, you said. But now he's ministering to them. And he's being very therapeutic to them. <laughs> Healing them. 
What a contrast. What a contrast I, I, I see there. That, that when he's with his own people, the religious people who should understand the therapeutic touch of God are buffeting that constantly and fighting against that. And yet these people who are so humble, there's nothing that they have to offer. Jesus just heals them, touches them. And so the, the multitude marveled. <laughs> of course they would. I love the way the Amplified puts that verse. It says, So the crowd was amazed when they saw the dumb speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they recognized and praised and thanked and glorified the God of Israel. That's what they did. They recognized. They praised, they thanked, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now the fact that he would tell us here that it is the God of Israel, because that is who the Israelites and the Jews worshipped, it only stands to reason here, as we're looking at this, that this verse, they glorified the God of Israel, means that they, the people that were worshipping him at that moment were none other than the Gentiles. <laughs> it was the Gentiles that were worshiping the God of Israel. Because you wouldn't have to use that term among the, the Jews because that's who they worship, the God of Israel. And so Jesus is ministering to those who are unclean. He has brought them in. He has been very kind to them, showing them compassion. And He is just ministering to them and they begin to recognize praise, thank, and worship or glorify the God of Israel. In verse 32, Now Jesus called His disciples to Himself and said, I have compassion. I have compassion on the multitudes because they have now continued with Me three days and have nothing to eat. In other words, they have nothing left. They've used up all their resources. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on their way. I could only imagine that the disciples are overwhelmed with all that has been going on since they left for their little getaway to the coast. <laughs> They've walked a lot, man. I, it doesn't tell us how long they were up in Tyre and Sidon. It doesn't tell us that. But instead of backtracking, they, they trek another way and they head down. Can you imagine these guys are going, we are exhausted. We've been ministering nonstop, 24-7, it seems like. And if we're not ministering, we're walking. <laughs> and maybe getting some sleep on some dirt somewhere. And getting up and walking again. But man, can you imagine? They have been overwhelmed. They haven't gotten back to their own beds close to headquarters at all. And Jesus calls a meeting with them. And He says, I have compassion. I have compassion for these people. Now you would think that it would be deja vu for these guys. Going... Okay, <laughs> been here before, seen this before, <laughs> we're not done ministering. <laughs> it's going to be another long time. There's all these people here, we get a number, 
There's 4,000 people besides women and children. There's a lot of people. <laughs> There's 12 of them and 13 with Jesus. All righty. Now, I know that this story here that we just read from 32 to 38 sounds very familiar to the miracle that took place in the last chapter. And yet, there are some critics who have accused the writers of, of the Gospels that they deliberately falsified, fabricated the records in order to, to prove that Jesus performed all these other miracles that He really didn't perform. And yet, at the end of the Gospel of John, it tells us, man, if everything was written down of what Jesus did, no, no building in the world, the world itself, could not contain all that He did if somebody was to write down everything. But these critics, they claim that the feeding of the five of the 4,000 was merely an adaptation, a, revi- a revision of the previous miracle that took place of the feeding of the 5,000. And so obviously math was not their, the critics' strong point. There's a thousand people less. Come on. But as we look at this just a little closer, we, we see that these two events and that these accusations are, are false, that these critics are wrong. Yeah, I understand there's some similarities in, in both of these, but there's definitely some differences as well. And some of the similarities that, that we see in these two miracles, both of them had great multitudes. In, in both instances, Jesus had compassion for the multitudes. In both instances, He did not want to send them away hungry. In both of these miracles, bread and fish were on the menu. <laughs> he made them both, in, in both instances, sit down. In both instances, he, he had the disciples do the work to feed them and also to pick up the leftovers. And at the end of both events, they were filled to the point of ready to throw up. That's, how it me- that's what that means, that they were filled. They were filled going... <laughs> that's how filled they were. Now, the differences between these two events is that the first miracle fed 5,000 people besides women and children. And that one took place near Galilee, but in Bethsaida, which was part and close to the headquarters, which was predominantly Jewish. This one, the second one, only feeds 4,000 besides women and children. But this one takes place in the Decapolis region on the east side of the Jordan River. And here we have mostly Gentiles. Huge difference there. The first miracle, Jesus started with five loaves and two fish that someone else provided. But in this one, we have seven loaves and a few fish. And it is provided from within. 
from the people that were there, either the disciples or some of the people that were there, not just from one particular person, but mostly from within. In the first miracle, the multitude had been with Jesus all day and for only one day. Here we see that the multitudes have been with him for three days. In the first miracle, there was only 12 small baskets of leftovers that they picked up. Here we see that they were seven large baskets. And the difference being between the baskets is that the 12 small ones were were the kind that you would put over your arm and carry the bread, a smaller wicker basket. Where the large baskets, you're talking more of a hamper type. It's the same kind of basket that Paul was let down on when he was up in Damascus, when he escaped. It, it, It was able to fit Paul. They do say he was kind of small, but Be that as it may, it was a bigger basket. And they filled up seven of those. Now, I I really can't move on from from this little portion here without touching on a couple of things, and that is his compassion. Again, we've talked about his compassion. But Jesus, once again, again, he's ministering to non-Jewish people, for the people that he didn't come to, but he still has compassion on them, these Gentiles. Those who he truly had not come for. And still his compassion goes out to them. And that compassion, as we've spoken of before, it comes from his innermost being. And it means, again, that he he has pity on them. He has sympathy on them. He is deeply moved by their plight. We we use the term, man, my heart goes out to somebody, right? But this word compassion goes deeper than that. See, we, we often talk about our heart. But this compassion comes down from deep down inside. Different than our heart. The feeding of the 5,000, according to to Mark, he says that Jesus was moved with compassion towards the people when he fed the 5,000 because they looked like sheep not having a shepherd. In this instance, he never calls them sheep. He doesn't call them sheep. And yet he is still moved with compassion for these people. He, he, he's seen these, this multitude and he's seen the faithfulness of these people of being with him for three days. It didn't seem like they left. They just wanted to be there for him. It just seemed that they were so hungry, but not so much for the food, but they were hungry for what was coming out of his mouth because I could guarantee you what was coming out of his mouth, they saw that it was coming from his, his, his compassion. And I could, I could only imagine that these people, even though they've experienced the miracles and the crazy miracles as that, I think that they're there because they're experiencing this compassion that comes from Jesus that is deep down inside and they see that from Jesus. And it's almost like they're being drawn into that to stay. Because I don't know what keeps you walking with Jesus. I don't know if it's because He's provided more stuff for you. That's why I follow Jesus. Or is it the fact that that you have sensed the love and compassion and pity that he has for you? 
Man, I cannot get that out of my mind. I had my, a nephew a month ago tell me, man, I don't understand how, how this universe is so big. There has to be something out there, Uncle Zeke, right? And I said, I, I don't know. But I, I usually turn that around and think, man, it is that vast and that big. And if there's a God who created that, he thinks of me. <laughs> he thinks of me. That blows my mind. I don't care if there's anything else out there. The fact that it's that huge and that big and God is that awesome that he thinks of lowly old me who can't even fix his collar sometimes. <laughs> right? <laughs> he sends people my way. <laughs> Here, take care of that idiot. Man, oh man, God, you're so big and you're so compassionate. Why would you love me, such a sinner? Why? You see, that's what, that's what draws me to him. I read his word and I go, how is it? Again, just studying this. He came for the Jews. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. I'm a filthy dog. And God says, I'm going to have compassion on poor old Zeke there, man. He had pity and sympathy for these people. And I believe that they're going, we don't want this guy to leave. I don't want to leave his sight. I don't want to, I don't want to miss anything that he has to say. Guys, so we would have that when we open up his word going, what do you have for me today, Jesus? What do you have for me? Not for my husband or my wife. What do you have for me? And then you would experience that compassion, oh, that compassion of Jesus that he has for us that are lost and hungry for something, man. It's just incredible. It's, it, it, it blows my mind. But you see, his compassion extends from... It extends out from his innermost being and it enters my innermost being. <laughs> it hits me right here. We are created in his image. I don't care who you are. You're created in his image. And his, com his compassion flows out this way and it comes in right here. Man. Uh, another thing. In verse 33, before I move on to finish. I, I, I caught this. <laughs> and it just touched me. And where it says, where, where could we, the disciples responding to Jesus, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness, in this isolated place, to fill such a great multitude. What a true statement that these guys made. And I don't know if they truly understood the depth or the gravity of that, of that statement. Maybe, maybe it was just this time as I read it, because I've never caught it before, but this time I'm looking at it, and maybe because I'm blown away about his compassion and his love, that, that all of a sudden, a simple little phrase right there in verse 33 where it says to fill. As they're saying, how could we get enough 
that, 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 that we could fill such a great multitude. That, that word to fill or those words to fill also mean to feed or to satisfy. And what blew my mind is that there is no way that I can fill, feed, or satisfy the needs of anybody else in my life. As much as I want to. Without the help of Jesus, I cannot fill, feed, or satisfy anybody. Not my wife, not my kids, not you. Apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, I cannot in and of myself fill, feed, or satisfy anyone. And the disciples could not get enough of anything to be able to fill, feed, or satisfy the multitude. They couldn't. They couldn't get enough even for themselves without them wanting more the next day. They would be left wanting more. Because in and of ourselves, we can't. We can't fill ourselves, nor we can, we can fill other people, feed somebody else, satisfy them. But with the little bit, <laughs> the little bit that we put into the hands of Jesus, He, and He alone, is able to fill, feed, and satisfy everyone. Everyone. And that is true in our lives. Because if you're trying to fill somebody else, feed somebody else, satisfy anybody else apart from who God is in your life to minister to them, you're going to fail miserably. If you're waiting, if you're expecting somebody else like your spouse or your children or, or your friends or, or, or whoever it might be in your life, your siblings, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, if you're waiting on them to fill you, to feed you and to satisfy you, you're going to be very, very disappointed. And you're going to be left wanting. And you're going to get hurt by them. Because what you're saying is, you're my Jesus. You fill me. It's like, wrong. You can't be that, nor can anybody be that to you. Jesus is the only one who can truly fill, feed, and satisfy your life. That's it. And so that little verse, or that little portion right there just blew my mind. It's like, I can't do it apart from Jesus. Nor should I expect that from anybody else apart from Jesus. And so Jesus continues. Verses 34 to 35, he says, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they answered, seven and a few fish. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. In the first miracle, Jesus, he, he, he put the onus on his disciples when he told them, you give them something to eat. Right? Remember that? In, 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 that, in, in feeding the 5,000, he says, you guys feed them. But here, he says that he didn't want to send them away hungry, lest they faint, lest they become weary. The last time, according to Matthew, the disciples told them what they had. This time Jesus asked them 
What do you have? What do you have? What do you have to offer right now? In this situation, not in the last situation, what do you have to offer in this situation? Is what he's basically telling them. And again, they didn't have enough to come close. They didn't. They knew that. They didn't have enough to fill, feed, or satisfy anybody in that situation that day. But Jesus asks, what do you have? What do you have to offer? And I know many of us, I have nothing to offer. And Jesus can still work with nothing. (laughs) But they said, we just have this. (laughs) It's all we have, seven loaves, a few fish. But that would be enough for Jesus. That would be enough for Jesus to fill, feed, and satisfy all the needs that day. To fill them, to overflow them, to overflowing. And once again, the disciples here, they don't have to manufacture it. All they have to do is distribute it. They don't have to be the manufacturers. They just have to go, here you go, Jesus. That's all I got to offer. And again, we have a beautiful picture that if we just give Jesus the little bit that we might have to offer, He takes it and He makes more of it and then He gives it back to us and then we could give it out. That's what we get to do. In this instance, it seems like, well, there are less people and more food than the other one. (laughs) It's like, you're kidding me, Zeke, right? It's like two more loaves are going to do anything? In the hands of Jesus, yeah. They just had two fish last time. They have a few now. (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot less people. Man, this is a piece of cake. What? There's a piece of cake that comes with that? It's like, no. <laughs> but Jesus could have brought down some manna, some angel food cake, and handed it to him. He could have done that too. But he commands the multitude to sit down, and I love this, just like the last time. Jesus sits them down, and there's some organization going on here. And I love that he, he organizes them and he uses the disciples to, to help them do that. And the disciples last time, they had no clue what Jesus was about to do. Not the last time. He had never done that. This time, you would think, I, I would bet on it that this time they know exactly what's coming down. He's like, dude, we just gave him some fish and some bread. And he's telling us to go sit these guys down. Be ready. <laughs> it's almost like, I, I, you know, I get excited about a great cheeseburger, but... <laughs> but I would be like, no, guys, sit out, sit out, really. This is going to be crazy, crazy, crazy. Guys, sit on, sit on. Man, I can't wait to get back to Jesus because I know what I've offered him and I know what you're going to get. <laughs> and it's just like awesome. I would be so giddy if I were those guys. And maybe they were, I don't know. But I love the fact that Jesus had this organization. It wasn't like this crazy Free for all that, you know, free food, man, rush the stage. It was nothing like that, man. There wasn't pushing and shoving. In other words, it wasn't chaos. Everything was under control. A little get smart lingo for you guys there. How they get it going? Chaos and control. 
In verse 36, he says, And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. How many people were there? At least 4,000 men. (laughs) Man, oh man. Again, we don't know what Jesus said as he gave thanks because if we did know, then we would use those words all the time. But we don't know. But it's a good example for us to give thanks for everything. To give thanks for the food that is set before you. Every day. Thank you, Jesus. But he gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they, they got to serve the people. Incredible. They're serving people that are unclean. They're serving people that are Gentiles. These guys who had been accused of doing something unclean, God is now using them in the very real sense to minister to some unclean people. He's going, you guys have been accused of being unclean? Don't ever think too highly of yourself (laughs) to serve some unclean people. They got to do that. And I'm sure the disciples were blessed to do that. And I could guarantee you that the people were blown away knowing that these guys were probably, that they were Jews. Whoa, these guys are serving us. But you see, the disciples, they had seen this before. They had been a part of this before. How many, how many hundreds Hundreds, even thousands of people, had they seen Jesus touch and heal? How many, how many people actually? When you, when you think of multitudes, man, there's a lot of peeps in that multitude. But Jesus, and these guys saw it time and time and time again. But these people on that side of the Jordan, in the Decapolis area, they had probably never seen something like this. It's been a crazy three days for them. They had never experienced anything like this before. Not just that they were fed, but all the healings that went on earlier. They they had been with Jesus three days. Can you imagine what a retreat that was? Man, I'm sure they never forgot it. Now, they would probably never see Jesus again after this. And, I, and I, I wonder, as I was looking at this, I wonder if, if it wore off for them. You know, you have this amazing three days getting away on a little retreat, and you have nothing but Jesus on these little retreats. And you're going, man, I love this, man. Has that, has that ever worn off? I wonder, I wonder in, in the days and weeks and, and months that came after that, if these guys kind of forgot about that. Maybe not forgot about it, just weren't excited anymore about that. It, it, it's interesting because a lot of them, 
a lot of them were changed physically. Especially the guy had no finger or no foot. It's like, there. A lot of them saw the miracles. But every one of them, every one of them that day, they were filled, fed, and satisfied. Every day, every one of them was filled, fed, and satisfied that day. And I just wonder what happened afterwards. Huh. We know what happened to the disciples. We read about them. But I wonder if even with the disciples, that became commonplace. I've seen them heal before. I've seen a leg grow before. I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. Jesus just keeps on doing crazy stuff like that. Did it, did it ever just become commonplace for them? Yeah, that's just what Jesus does. Hmm. I, po- I ponder these things because it seems that the feeding of the 4,000 in many instances is not as amazing as the feeding of the, the 5,000. Only because we just read about that last chapter. I know it was about over a month ago. But oftentimes you read the feeding of the 5,000 you're going, dude, that is amazing, crazy, wow. Oh, he only four, you know, he fed 4,000 now. Or you're going, same story. Sounds very similar. And, and, and maybe I thought that or I think that because I've thought that in the past. I knew what Jesus was going to do. I expected him to do that. I almost could have wrote the script. (laughs) And yes, there's a lot of similarities in both of these. And some of the same players are in both storylines. But most of them, the majority of them, were not a part of the feeding of the 5,000. And the guys from the 5,000 weren't involved in the (laughs) 4,000. There was a lot of people that this was their first time ever experiencing anything like that. That every day, guys, every day we would be amazed and excited at what Jesus is going to do today. Not taking it for granted, not letting it grow old. You know, because I think even as, as we come to church, we're sometimes like, oh, I know what Pastor Z's going to do. His collar's going to be jacked up. <laughs> He's going to say some lame joke that comes out from the Prince's Bride. I know what he's going to do. And yet, guys, man, I want Jesus to be at work every time, even through my lameness, you know? <laughs> that, that, that he would move, that you would be going, man, I just want to hear from Jesus, not from that cat up there, man. I just want to hear. <coughs> they all ate. They were all filled. There was a lot of leftovers to gather up <coughs> because Jesus doesn't waste a thing. And all 4,000 were happy campers. (laughs) And so were the the wives. And so were the children. And verse 39, as we close here, it says that he sent the multitude away. Ah, You imagine, man, they're leaving going, never have I ever seen something like this in my life. Oh, Lord, please help me never to forget that. But he sent them away, got into a boat, or the boat, and they came to the region of of Magdala. And so 
He leaves the east side of the Sea of Galilee and goes directly west to the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the small little town. And we'll see in the next chapter that he will have a welcome committee waiting for him there. And you almost want to go, hey, let's get back in the boat. Let's go over there, man. Those people really appreciated us. <laughs> Hey, I love you guys. Next week again, man, we're going to have uh, it's a, just a Christmas time, uh, Christmas Eve service. So I encourage you, pray. Pray for me. Pray for our church. Pray for God to move mightily. Hopefully he's done that today. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we are in awe of who you are. To truly understand or try to understand the compassion that you have for people like us, Lord. Can't even fathom, Lord, why you would. But man, oh man, Lord God, we're just so grateful that you do. Thank you, Lord, for showing us pity, for having sympathy on us, Lord God, for being moved so deeply because of who we are, that we are created in your image, Lord. Lord, that we would always have that in our mind, as we talk to other people who may not know you, that they too are created in your image and you truly want to have compassion on them. Give us those eyes, Lord God. Give us that, that heart. <laughs> Give us that compassion that comes from our bowels, Lord, for other people. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for being a God who fills, feeds, and satisfies our soul. We do bless you. We do thank you, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone, Lord, in this room right now, Lord God, who is so far away from you, that right now you would draw them closer, that if they have never, ever been filled, Lord, that today you would fill them to overflowing. Father, please do that work in the lives of these people right now, these people that are before me, Lord God. Please, Lord, draw them to yourself, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.